This is Isaac from Stillwater, Minnesota, and you can rest assured that I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us on this 210th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, the lady who knows how to get me in the mood to do a show, Brittany Page. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm talking about the gesture you made just after. The mics went hot. Uh, okay, well, this could still be... See, it sounded <laughs> dirty, and now it still sounds... I don't know. I Listen, I feel... What gest- What gesture? Oh, that gesture. Yes. Yes. The one of your fingers was extended to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Just one, though. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and coupled with the fact that I feel like a bag of smashed assholes... You do. Yeah, I don't feel good, so... You know, neither do I. We will see how this goes. But I'm assuming, because we are consummate professionals, that it will go just fine. I inhaled a lot of fumes from cleaning products today. Yeah, you... Uh, you well, I don't know how you do that anyway. I, we don't have to spend a ton of time on your, your lung and heart situation, but <laughs> often when you clean, you go crazy with the, the cleaners. No. Where the fume, yes, you do, because the fumes, maybe I'm just, you know, a delicate little girl and I can't handle yes. the fumes. It's too much for me. And mm-hmm. you'll just be just powering through like nothing's going on. Well, stuff have to, has to get clean. <laughs> well, today you did it. and it did uh, not go well. It did affect you. Yeah, it did. You were complaining about your heart. Like <laughs> like there was something seriously going on with your heart. Yeah. Well, whenever things start being weird, because I'm I, I have really right. my health is great. And so when I start feeling bad, I get very concerned because I'm not used to feeling bad. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that. Anyway. Anyway. All right. Well, what I do want to talk about before we start the show is listen. I believe that something needs to be done in this country relative to education. And I know it sounds like I'm really going off like a serious rant, but it's not. It is just about Craigslist. Yeah, it's about Craigslist. (laughs) We need to teach people how to properly negotiate. And I don't think it will ever happen. It is. I just got a new iPhone. And so I'm selling my old iPhone on Craigslist. And... When you put your price, you know, $200, let's say, and you get an email that says, is that your firm price? (laughs) Or even worse, how low will you go? What's your your lowest position? Yeah. They don't understand the fundamental structure of negotiation, which is, which as far as I'm concerned is a, it's a, it's an art form. It makes me want to tell them just to FO, beat it. (laughs) Uh, you don't you don't you don't deserve to buy my phone 
because you don't know the, how to work this. You don't know how it works. Well, it is frustrating because they should. <laughs> right? It's Listen, Craigslist in and of itself, for our European listeners, I'm assuming they have something like Craigslist over there, right? I assume so. Well, Craigslist is a, is a website where you can put put a house for rent. You can sell things, um, post ads. There's personal ads for dating there. There's right. all kinds of stuff. And they have it specific to certain cities That's or right. certain areas. Right. Which is another issue because if you get someone who's trying to buy something... And once it mailed to them, scamtastic. That's a right. red flag. Right, right. So anyway, we there's been several times where we have sold something on Craigslist, and it's ended up being a goddamn fiasco. Mm-hmm. There was a time we sold a couch, and these three dudes didn't speak very good English, and I think that was part of the scam. We were selling the item for two or three or four hundred dollars, whatever it was. They show up. They come in, they look at it, all right, they pick it up, and they start carrying it out to their truck. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, 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 they're halfway out into the driveway. Hey, hey, what's, uh, what, and I do the, the you know, the international symbol for money where I, <laughs> I rub my thumbs and my fingers together. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, oh, we, we thought it was free, really. Yeah. And so you, they brought you, it You back. thought it was free. They brought it back. Of course they brought it back. I made them bring it back in. They didn't say, oh, we'll pay you now. They said, oh, we'll <laughs> Did, bring it back up. Didn't work this time. But listen, we've got several other houses on the yeah. list that we're going to go to. And hopefully it works with one of them. Right. Then there was another time. This was the same. I don't know why we were selling so many things on Craigslist, but I was selling a microwave. And this woman shows up from Huntington Beach. I know this because the, there was a knock at the door. I went to open it knowing that they were showing up. I opened the door and there's not a hello or a hi, I'm here to buy the microwave or whatever it was. It's, I'm a Huntington Beach police officer. Almost like, don't rape and kill me. Well, which was weird because I answered the door. So it was me. That's right. You did answer the door. And she still was very freaked out by the situation, which it is scary. Craigslist is a scary thing. Anytime I get an email, I'm suspicious of the person. I'm nervous to... She's even talking about getting emails from me, folks. Yeah. I'm I'm nervous to meet them anywhere. Uh, you know, I'm... We just sold my iPhone as well, and the people that were buying it pulled up, and I thought they weren't going to get out of the car and wanted to like have me transact the the entire thing with them sitting in their the front seat of their car. Yeah, and I was yeah. thinking I'm not going to hand them my phone. Right, those are just like throw the car <laughs> into reverse like an action film and speed <laughs> off real quick in the minivan. <laughs> yes. You never know what's going to happen. Right. But so, but we also did have this guy email and he offered a hundred more dollars than what we were selling the phone for. Right. But it had to be done through PayPal. Right. And right. so I, I said, good luck with your scam. <laughs> That's actually what you said. Yeah. And no, thank you. But good luck with your scam, though. Yeah. Hopefully other people <laughs> are smart enough to tell him the same thing. Godspeed to you, sir. So, I, I listen, I just think, I, apart from all the creepy social interactions that, that come from Craigslist meetings, and I don't mean of the sexual nature, <laughs> the selling nature, well, I Yikes. guess that could be selling too, um, 
apart from all that, there just needs to be more training on how to negotiate. You don't ask me what my lowest price would be. You offer a price, Mm -hmm. even if it's a ridiculous one. Right. And then we meet somewhere in the middle. That's what a negotiation is. Yes. You're disrespecting the whole process by just asking (laughs) me my lowest price. That's true. (laughs) That's very true. All right. Well, before we move on to follow-up, let's get to some listener feedback. First, (laughs) this was going to be the drop at the top of the show, but I thought a little bit of explanation had to go into it. Also, it's over 30 seconds, so it would just be kind of odd, and I don't want new listeners... (laughs) To be very confused. (laughs) What the the hell is going on? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, this is a listener submission that I assume was supposed to be... Uh, An intro promo, but I guess it's just going to be featured. I never listened to I Doubt It with Dollar Moore, because that preachy shit just makes me snore. Of all the shows doing news and comment, I gotta say that this one is bombing. You're not doing very well, because Jesse cackles like a demon from hell. And of the two, you know that Britney is the best. (laughs) But it's hard to be a 10 when you got a flat chest. And just to end this with a little more umph, I'm going to leave you with vote for Trump. Oh, see? The flat chest thing is a Trump reference. Mm. It's not a specific slight <laughs> okay, to I'm the being, lovely and talented Britney Page. I'm having flashbacks to middle school right now. <laughs> Britney S. Flato, you guys. Britney S. Flato. I guess that was a, a Spanish class dig yes at middle school Brittany page it was pretty <laughs> hateful well thank you listener for the rap is that a rap <laughs> yeah it was a rap it was a very clever rap i thought it was great yes absolutely well i've said before and i guess i'm going to be forced to say it again we do have a a talented stable of listeners mm-hmm. all right Well, let's get on to a voicemail that actually has something to do with politics and the typical type of voicemail that you would hear on the show. This one having to do with the superdelegates in Washington state and I guess the general democratic process for the democratic uh, election this year. Hey, guys. Todd from Washington. Hey, a couple of thoughts regarding the superdelegate process. So... Since 1984, the superdelegates, as far as the Democratic nomination process has gone, the superdelegates have never changed the outcome of the public portion of the process. So whoever had the most delegates going into the Democratic convention had the majority of the support from the superdelegates when the nomination was actually put forward. And a perfect example of that was 2008 uh, when Clinton and Obama first faced off Clinton had the majority of the superdelegates. And as time went on and as Obama started to win more of the public delegate vote, by the time the 2008 convention started, the majority of the superdelegates had switched their vote and had gone with what their people wanted, and Obama ended up getting the nomination. So I think as we move forward in this process, our votes count even more. So the closer... The two candidates are, and the closer the delegate count is from a, from a popular standpoint, uh, at least from a people standpoint, I should say, then our votes count even more, and they're even more important. Uh, 
And so I just think it's really, really, really important that people don't get discouraged and think, nah, if the superdelegates are already pledged that they can't change their mind because that's the idea behind the superdelegate vote is that these people should be swayed by the people who have elected them into their office. So, you know, I, and I'm a Bernie delegate, so it's particularly important to me, you know, as I move forward in the process, I, you know, I, I just don't want anybody to get discouraged and feel like their vote doesn't count because I really think that if we continue to push forward and Bernie gets more of the public delegate vote, that by the time the Democratic Convention actually rolls around, that we we will have the support of those superdelegates and that things can move in our direction. But there's no giving up on our end. We can't give up now. Anyways, just some food for thought. Love the show. Jesse's the best part. Wow. What? How dare you? I, I think he missed the memo. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Clearly. I- clearly I am not. I am not the best part. It is you. As as overwhelming favorite, you know, I'm ready to move on from this listener favorite. <laughs> I have a couple things to say. One, I hope that we haven't, or at least I could speak for myself, that I haven't um, indicated to the audience that I that I believe that people's votes don't count. That that is not at all. I think that the entire superdelegate process in the Democratic Party is undemocratic because these people they are not bound to cast their vote for the nomination in in the Democratic uh, nominating process, they're not bound to follow the will of the people of their particular state or municipality. They can do what they want. That is undemocratic. The other thing is, is that when was the last time that we went into a Democratic or a Republican convention, for that matter, not knowing who, who the nomination was going to be? When you, when you talk about 2008 with Barack Obama, those delegates started switching, which forced Hillary Clinton out of the race. Now, maybe that'll happen again, but it's not looking that way right now. And that is problematic at its core for fundamental principled approach to our electoral process, that you have these few... And there are so many of them. It's not really even a few. There are so many superdelegates that they are causing, they are making a race that is right now very tight without their influence seem far more lopsided. Right, because right now Hillary Clinton has 469 superdelegates and Bernie, Bernie... Like 26 or something? 31. 31, yeah. Right. Goddamn. But these super delegates, they are under increasing pressure to get with the program because Bernie is making moves. He's starting to pull even or ahead with Hillary in national polling. And they're gonna have to fall in line at some point, right? Well, and if they look at Hopefully. national if they look at national polling for general elections, right now it appears that he is more electable than Hillary Clinton is. And you would hope that these party loyalists, these party um, bigwigs, these establishment people who are delegates, super delegates for, for, for Hillary Clinton, they would look at the writing on the wall and want to win the election over just backing their, their candidate 
You know what I mean? Yes. So, as always, thank you for communicating with the show. We appreciate you helping us move the conversation forward. And also, thank you for being a delegate. That is awesome. Just being involved. It's, it, it, is, it is the lifeblood of our political process that everyday normal citizens go out there and get active in, in the process. So thank you very much. If you, too, would like to sound off and talk to the show, helping us move the conversation forward, you can do so by calling 657-464-7609. There you can leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail. Or you can do like these two callers did and email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We appreciate it very, very much. All right, let's move on to some follow-up before we get to the meat of the show. Got a lot to cover here. Ethan Couch, we've talked about in the past. He is the affluenza teen, the little monster who killed four people in an auto accident while shit-hammered drunk, was put on probation and caught caught got caught drinking and fled with his mother to Mexico. That about sums it up, does it not? Yes. Well, they they were caught in Mm -hmm. Mexico, extradited from Mexico, he and his mother, and there is a development, a positive, awesome development in the case. A Texas judge has sentenced Ethan Couch to nearly two years in jail. District Judge Wayne Salvant has decided that Couch will be jailed for 180 days on each of the four counts of intoxication manslaughter he faces. And he's not going to little kitty jail. He's going with the big boys. Right. He was considered a juvenile until Monday when he turned 19, and his case was officially transferred to the adult court system. Good. Good. Th- this is justice. Well, this is finally him receiving a consequence for his behavior. Right. Because up until now, he has been allowed to run wild. I mean, he got what he wanted. Absolutely. He, he because, wasn't really punished. Because of his privilege, because of his wealth, he was able to. Right. Which is not justice. That is absolutely the antithesis of... Of the system we have in place where we have equal protection under the law. He got more protection under the law because of his daddy's money. Well, and even this, I mean, when you think about this, he's getting nearly two years. He killed four people. Yes. It's still getting off so easy. Right. Well, I think this is probably for breaking his probation. Right. Not the final sentence. You know, if he gets out, he probably still faces probation time. But uh, we'll keep following this. I'm, I just have a feeling this isn't over at all. All right. Well, in, in politics news, Donald Trump, we've talked in the past ve- a lot. <laughs> we have covered it a lot. Corey Lewandowski, his, his campaign manager, who allegedly assaulted Michelle Fields, who was a Breitbart reporter, left bruises on her arm and was arrested or turned himself in and booked. Um... Apparently, the prosecutor in the case, the state's attorney in the case, who was a a smiling frat boy mook, unbelievable, his performance at a press conference, has decided and announced that they will not be formally pressing charges and all charges have been dropped. 
You know, that was a very strange press conference. It was bizarre. The Florida prosecutor was talking about how he knows Donald Trump. How he how he shared a bathroom in college at Harvard with, with Ted Cruz. Yeah, and he was smiling. And when the press started asking more questions about him specifically, oh, well, you know, how many interactions have you had with Donald Trump? Or asking more specifics surrounding his relationships with the candidates. He was giddy. And so excited to be the center of attention and having these questions asked about him. And Mr. Trump this and Mr. Trump that. It was very strange. Very strange. I was was in shock. I was watching the TV. I mean, really at a loss for words. I'm like, are you are you watching this? This is this is insane. Yeah. So this is the prosecutor that decided whether or not to bring charges. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it. It very well could just be that. This is my own impression, folks. This isn't, uh, I don't have any facts to go on here. But it seemed to me that the, the, the lady standing next to him, his assistant or his colleague, wasn't happy about the decision. I don't know that, but it just seemed that was the case. Well, maybe she was also irritated by his behavior. Right. Thinking, right. hey, can you behave a little more professionally? Right. Well, it, this weekend on 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 a news show, they interviewed Corey Lewandowski, who shifted the blame back on to her that, well, I gave her my phone number. If she wanted to resolve this, she could have called. When asked if he was going to apologize, that is what he said. He's he, He's out of control. It is an insidious culture within... The Donald Trump presidential campaign. Well, Corey Lewandowski also spent the first, I don't know, two minutes of that interview talking about how thankful he was for Donald Trump, for being loyal to him and standing by him. And thank you to Mr. Trump. It was very strange. Well, I listen. I want everybody to know the fact that he's not being prosecuted for this doesn't mean he didn't grab her. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that the smiling, grinning, goofy prosecutor doesn't think there's enough evidence to go forward with a prosecution. That's what it means. Right. Quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Air quotes the whole way. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to a little Southern news. We've talked in the past about the Tennessee governor and the Tennessee Senate's attempt to pass a bill which would make the Holy Bible the official book of Tennessee. Well, the Tennessee governor did the right thing and vetoed the aforementioned bill. Republican Governor Bill Haslam on Thursday vetoed a bill seeking to make Tennessee the first state to designate the Bible as its official book. (laughs) The Republican governor, who considered entering a seminary before deciding to join the family truck stop business after college... (laughs) said in his veto message oh, that, is perfect. that the bill, quote, trivializes the Bible, which I believe is a sacred text. The bill had narrowly passed both chambers of the Tennessee General Assembly after sponsors said it aimed at honoring the significance of the Bible in the state's history and economy, as opposed to a government endorsement of religion. Quote, and, and economy, huh? Apparently. All right. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, then we shouldn't be recognizing it only as a book of historical and economic significance. How in the hell is it a book of economic significance? What are they talking about? (laughs) I mean, they've sold a lot of Bibles and it's 
it's bolstered the beleaguered economy of the state of Tennessee. Well, so the thing is, what I'm getting out of this is, you know, people would people would hear this story and say, oh, awesome. He vetoed the bill. But he says we shouldn't just be recognizing it only as a book of historical and economic significance. (laughs) We need to be recognizing it as a government endorsement of religion. Well, I mean, that's what I feel like is implicit in there. Right. But I, he, I think he's following the advice of counsel. His attorney general came out early on and said, come on, idiots. It's in our constant, not even our federal constitution. It's in the Tennessee constitution that they can't do anything like this. So they're just waving their, their, their fingers in the faces of history and the people who have come before them writing what I do consider to be sacred documents, the, the documents that provide the rule of law for all of us. Arrogance is what it is. So the individuals who sponsored the bill are vowing to mount bids to override this veto starting next week. It narrowly passed. They're not going to have enough votes to override a veto. I love how important this is. Right. There's nothing else that's more important <laughs> than this. Listen, their their effort and their time has to be focused somewhere very important. Brittany Page. Yeah. You guys get back to fighting this. Spend more time on this. <laughs> Super important. Well, look at it this way. The more time they spend on this, the less time they spend on other shit that really affects, you know holding people down and oppressing you know uh populations in our in our in their state in our country who are marginalized and really hurting so eh, let them fuck around they're not really damaging anybody mm-hmm. all right well, let's wrap up follow-up <laughs> with a topic that's near and dear to my heart we have talked on this very program many many times in the past about going to movie theaters and having my time completely destroyed, mainly because I obsess and can't get over the fact that I'm having (laughs) anger over people texting, over people talking. Well, last week, it, it made the rounds on Facebook that the movie theater chain, AMC, was considering a policy of creating certain theaters that would gear their service toward millennials and they would allow them to text and be on their phones in the theater while the movie was going on. Right. The CEO released a statement and said, when you tell a 22-year-old to turn off the phone, don't ruin the movie, they hear, please cut off your left arm above the elbow. You can't tell a 22-year-old to turn off their cell phone. That's not how they live their life. Right. Well... So I don't know what world he's living in. Right. Right. Apparently he's saying, listen, some people, they don't have self-control. They don't need to learn self-control. We need to make sure that we encourage them having no self-control. Right. It doesn't make any... Well, let's let's let the cat out of the bag here. Because capitalism works and because they are responsive to their customer, people freaked out. And they said, no, absolutely not. This is a terrible idea. And if you want us to never come to your theaters because there are other choices in the marketplace, you go ahead with this little policy and see where your business goes. And uh, the message was received 
loud so, and clear. So the new statement that was released. <laughs> Within a week, right? Yes. We have heard loud and clear that this concept is one that our audience does not want. With your advice in hand, there will be no texting allowed in any of our theaters. Not today, not tomorrow, and not in the foreseeable future. Wait, what, what, do you, what do you mean, Mr. CEO? I thought that telling a, a 22-year-old to turn off their phone is like telling them to cut their arm off. Mm-hmm. What, what do you... What do you mean, guy? <laughs> what if, does he not know the business he's in? It's very strange. Well, listen, I, I don't know how well this company does. I can say that when when the lovely Brittany Page and I attend a movie, we go to Edwards Theaters. I don't, when's the last time we ever went to even a, a, an AMC theater? I don't know. They don't have a Regal, Regal Rewards program. I think that's an Edwards program. That's why. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> If they had a really great rewards program, maybe I'd go. Right. Their business model is just too screwy for the <laughs> likes of me. You know what I mean? Well, something's going on over there. No kidding. All right. Let's move on. Support for I Doubted with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward, one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. I don't know where you're getting all these people to <laughs> record these when you have me right here. And I can even do, oh, you're, a, you're gonna do it. an amazing British accent. Well, all you have to do is pronounce contribute. Or now I'm saying it wrong. All you have to do is is pronounce contribute, contribute, uh-huh. and you're you're good to go. Yeah, apparently. So you want to go ahead and give us a give us a, a taste of this wonderful British accent again? No. I think the audience deserves your Harry Potter name version of of a, of a British accent, Brittany Page. Yeah, I mean, it's too good. Oh, is it too good? Yeah, I don't want to... That's why you're chastising me for going out and paying for voiceover talent <laughs> to do these little drops that we have. It would just be overwhelming. Mm. Overwhelming. Oh, well, we will... Do... <laughs> That's a little preview of you're, things to you, come, everybody. Why are, you, why are you, uh, you're letting the cat right out of the fucking bag over here? It's just a little preview. Uh, all right, moving on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, the Democrats did meet for a debate. And last episode, I said that I thought it was in the Bronx. And that is because, well, I'm dumb. And I was very wrong. It was in Brooklyn. I don't know why I said it was that I thought it was in the Bronx. Well, I validated I'm terrible. what you said. So well, it's, thank you. So it's your fault. All right. Brittany, also no, my Brittany fault. Brittany has accepted all blame. No. And I am indemnified. 50%. From this. No, absolutely not. It's not <laughs> that is not how it works. All right. Well, they did meet in Brooklyn and they did have a debate and we were going to have a full bonus episode analyzing the performance of either candidates. But most of the debate was Hillary Clinton talking about how great it was to be in Brooklyn. Oh my God. Well, listen, we're <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about it right now. We're not going to have a specific full episode because it was the same thing over and over again. We do have two clips from the debate that I thought were the crux 
of what needs to be talked about. Well, they represent what's new. Things are getting a little heated. They are. And that's different. That's new for the Democratic candidates. That's been happening since the beginning on the GOP yeah, and side. And Hillary's, Hillary's shrill <laughs> is on display. Well. On full display. Mm-hmm. Why do you hate that? Why do you hate it? Because I think it's... It's fact. No, that's not why I hate it. <laughs> why? Why? Why do you hate it? Do you think I'm being sexist when I say it? No, but I think it's... Uh, it's just so common. I don't know. It's just really... You know. But it's so easy because her voice is fucking annoying when she gets up to that register. I don't think it's annoying. She even knows it. She'd made, she's made jokes about it. No, she's made jokes about people making jokes that she has a shrill voice well, because she's had to hear it her whole life. If the shoe fits, then don't hit that register. Don't let your voice get to that volume where, listen, I have a goofy voice. I know this. There was some silence. Were you hoping that I would? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a goofy voice. <laughs> no, of course I but I know it. So when people make fun of the fact, oh, he sounds like a morning DJ or blah blah blah. Uh, okay, awesome. That's sorry, that's what you got. Yeah. Uh, this isn't an affectation I'm throwing on. Yeah. Well, I, I mean I've never been told that I have a shrill voice, but I have been told I talk like a valley girl. <laughs> that's something I've heard. Do they are Valley Girls still a thing? Uh, yeah. All right, we're we're getting a little far afield here. The debate. I guess let's do a little mini, uh, a little mini debate episode, a little bonus episode here. What were your takeaways? Or have we already talked about them? Uh, Dana Bash won the debate. <laughs> she was a boss. Dana Bash is the their chief political correspondent on CNN, and she killed it. Yeah, and we'll play that clip at some point, but she forces Hillary Clinton... Well, no, she tries to force Hillary Clinton to right. answer a well, question. She just, she's a pit bull. She doesn't let it go. Right, three times she tries. But, you know, if these candidates aren't going to answer the question, they're not going to answer the question. You can try to do it over and over and over again, but if, if they're not going to answer, they're not going to answer. But you need to... I believe it's a reporter's responsibility... To let it be known, let the audience know, look, I tried three times, you're not answering the question, and the audience needs to know, you didn't answer my question. So I, that's a perfect lead, and let's just get right to the clip. Dana Bash holding Hillary Clinton's feet to the fire, and each time the question gets asked, Hillary Clinton, rather than just answer the question tries to pivot and make something about Bernie. Oh, I haven't released my transcripts? Well, that's Bernie. He he signed that legislation that one time. And then she gets forced again. What about the question, though? You didn't, you haven't released your transcripts. What's the deal? And she says, oh, well, Bernie's tax returns. <laughs> Ugh, it's crazy. Discussion. the speeches that you gave to Goldman Sachs. So I'd like to ask you, you've said that uh, you don't want to release the transcripts until everybody does it, but if there is nothing in those speeches that you think would change voters' minds, 
why not just release the transcripts and put this whole issue to bed? You know, first of all, first of all, there isn't an issue. When I was in public service serving as the senator from New York, I did stand up to the banks. I did make it clear that their behavior would not be excused. I'm the only one on this stage who did not vote to deregulate swaps and derivatives as Senator Sanders did, which led to a lot of the problems that we had with Lehman Brothers. Now, if you're going to look at the problems that actually caused the Great Recession, you got to look at the whole picture. It was a giant insurance company, AIG. It was an investment bank, Lehman Brothers. It was mortgage companies like Countrywide. I'm not saying that Senator Sanders did something untoward. Oh, yeah. Regulating swaps and derivatives. But the fact is, he did. And that contributed to the collapse of Lehman Brothers, which started the cascade in the Senator Sanders, one second, please. Secretary Clinton, the question was about the transcripts of the speeches to Goldman Sachs. Why not release them? I have said, look, there, there, are certain, there are certain expectations when you run for president. This is a new one, and I've said, if everybody agrees to do it, because there are speeches for money on the other side, I know that. But I will tell you this, there is... There is a long-standing expectation that everybody running release their tax returns. And you can go, you can go to my website and see eight years of tax returns, and I've released 30 years of tax returns. And I think every candidate, including Senator Sanders and Donald Trump, should do the same. Secretary Clinton, we're going to get to the tax returns later, but just to put a button on this, you're running now for the Democratic nomination. Right. And it, it is your Democratic opponent and many Democratic voters who want to see those transcripts. It's not about the Republicans at this point. You know, let's set the same standard for everybody. When everybody does it, okay, I will do it. But let's set and expect the same standard on tax returns. Everybody does it, and then we move forward. Thank you. Well, let me respond. Secretary Clinton, you just heard him. Everybody else does it, she'll do it. I will do it. I am going to release all of the transcripts of the speeches that I gave on Wall Street behind closed doors. Not for 225,000, not for 2,000, not for two cents. There were no speeches. What a great moment for Bernie Sanders. Well, and I love that que- the third question from Dana Bash where she said, okay, but the Democratic voters right. and your Democratic <laughs> opponents, this isn't about the GOP. Right. And she just repeated her line. Well, when everybody does it, I'll do it. Oh, okay. So you just ignore the logic in the question that was just asked. I believe this was a bad moment for the Hillary Clinton campaign. And mainly because of the crowd. Because people are going to remember... Listen, it's the same reason that uh, sitcoms have a laugh in-studio audience that you can hear the laughing because it cues you, oh, yeah, that was funny, I need to laugh. Well, it's the same thing when you hear the boos and the, oh, it reminds you, oh, yeah, that was shitty. And it's it's impactful. It's we're We are communal creatures 
and we take our cues from others. And I think this isn't going to play well. I don't know if it's going to turn the tide in the race in New York, but it was damaging, certainly. I do appreciate that the crowd wasn't tolerating her BS, but I do hope that we can all become more equal opportunity, non-BS acceptors. Yes. Because it isn't just that, oh, I'm not accepting what she's saying because I don't like her. Right. It's because it's bullshit. Yeah, it's because it's BS. Well, that that's a perfect segue. Thank you very much, Brittany Page. That leads me directly to Bernie Sanders. And I'm sure we're going to get hate mail because that is what happens when you badmouth Bernie Sanders on this program. <laughs> the same level of questions were asked of Bernie Sanders to release his tax returns. And this is how it went down. And second of all, of course, we will release our taxes. Jane does our taxes. We've been a little bit busy lately. You'll excuse us. But we will. Senator, we will get them out. Senator. Well, you know, there are, there are a lot of copy, Senator, when copy are you going to release? That was a weak, weak attempt at scoring some points in the debate. Well, there's lots of copy, copy machines laying in the there around the place that you could use. <laughs> it would have been more useful for her to use her shrill voice, right? In that ah, moment. The copy machine. Exactly. Then yeah. people would have heard it. <laughs> but no one heard her say that. Well, it was just drowned out by the the raucous applause for Bernie's uh his previous line. Right. And then also moving into that we are going to release the tax returns. Well, and everyone was super excited for Wolf's question, too. Are you, you've been asked for weeks and weeks to release well, your tax returns. Well, I think returns. we got one that's coming out tomorrow. Which one? Last year's. 2014? Yes. What about 2013? All yes. the other ones. Look, I don't want to get anybody very excited. They are very boring tax returns. No big money from the speeches, no major investments. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I remain one of the poorer members of the United States Senate, and that's what that will show. So, so Senator, just to be clear, tomorrow you will re release the 2014 tax returns from you and your family? Yes. And what about the earlier ones? What's yes. the problem? What, what's taking it's so not, long? Because you just I, have to go to the filing cabinet, make a well, copy, and, re and release them. <laughs> Very good point. Well, the answer is, you know, what we have always done in my family is Jane does them. And she's been out on the campaign show. We will get them out. We'll get them out very shortly. It's not Thank a big you. deal. Senator. It's not a good answer. It's just not. It, it would cost a couple hundred dollars to send Jane back from wherever they are in the country. She could fly commercial. $500 round trip, she could fly back, go to the filing cabinet, or go to the laptop, print the file, and release them. Why didn't she do that when they released the 2014, which they have now released? 
Right. So they released the 2014 and Bernie and Jane Sanders earned nearly 206,000 in 2014 and paid 28,000 in federal taxes. The return also shows that the couple earned nearly 46,000 in social security benefits and donated 8,350 in gifts, although the seven page return did not provide further detail on those gifts. Right. Well, listen. It, may, it, it, it only leads me to wonder what calculating interest there is here. Why are they doing this specifically, waiting this long to release tax returns that by all accounts are, are going to contain nothing? There has to be a political end in mind. Because as much as a lot of people would like to think they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and it's a one-man operation, it's not. They have paid and skilled political operatives working for the Sanders campaign. And there has to be some end in mind here. I mean, they, they, they've got a motivation. They've got some end game in sight that they're looking for. And I'm just curious what it is. It, it can't just be, oh, yeah, we'll get to it eventually. You know, we get home and we just lay on the couch and we're kind of lazy. We forget. You you know you need to do it. Right. And also, they know that there's a fervor building each day that they don't release the, the tax returns. And then when they do eventually release them and there's nothing there, it was, then why all the fuss? Yeah. I, it's very weird to me. And I guess we'll probably find out. Well, I mean, listen, I think we know why Hillary Clinton's not releasing her transcripts of the speeches. <laughs> To the to these large hedge fund and bank these banks we, we know it's because there's probably some bad shit in there. That's mm-hmm. not the case with Bernie Sanders though, so it makes it makes one think. Yes, it makes one wonder. All right, before we move on, if you would like to sound off about this, I do it now because it's after we've talked a little bit about Bernie Sanders and give people <laughs> enough ammo to get pissed off and write in and call in six five seven. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I still feel like warmed, reheated dog poop. Mm. How about that? Not warm dog poop. You know what? It's dog poop that has been reheated after being refrigerated. You're doing so well. Uh, I don't feel like it. You're doing so well, despite your illness. (laughs) Listen to you. You're very positive. Yeah. yeah you're you're a you're a a, a good pal right now. <laughs> a motivator. All right. That's enough. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. We're not really moving too far away from this particular topic. It still involves Bernie Sanders. We talked in the past about a fundraiser that George Clooney was uh, organizing here in Los Angeles. That was like $350,000 per couple to go. And... I thought the fundraiser was in San Francisco. Oh, okay. (laughs) I think that might be right. Actually, now that I'm thinking about what he said about it, it, that sounds right. Anyway, it was in... Look, California, my world is just all LA. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, San Francisco... Sorry, Jillian doesn't really exist in the construct of Dollamore. Okay. Yeah? Is that, uh, am I selling it? I No. 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 <laughs> You're really not. All right. Well, George Clooney had a, a fundraiser, 
and it was some some astronomically obscene amount, like three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a couple to attend mm-hmm. with Hillary Clinton. And Bernie had called him out on it and said, "This is bullshit. This is I think the word he used was obscene. This is obscene." The the fundraiser went off without a hitch. I mean, there was protesters, but it went off without a hitch. And George Clooney appeared on Meet the Press this weekend to talk about the fact that it was an astronomical amount to attend. Do you look at uh, at uh, how much is being raised? And I think the co-host of the Friday Night Dinner, $353,000, uh, a couple to be a co-chair. Do you look at it yourself and think that's an obscene amount of money? Yes, I think it's an obscene amount of money. I think that, you know, we had some protesters last night when we, uh, when we pulled up in San Francisco. And they're right to protest. They're absolutely right. It is an obscene amount of money. The Sanders campaign, when they talk about it, is absolutely right. It's ridiculous that we should have this kind of money in politics. I agree completely. You know, it's interesting. We caught uh, our camera caught you having a conversation with the protesters uh, last night. What did you say to them? Well, that was the funniest thing. I went over to try to talk to him. And he said I was some corporate shill, which, if you know me, that's one of the funnier things you could say about me. And then he just said, you know, you sucked as Batman. And I was like, well, you kind of you kind of got me on that one. And and then I walked <laughs> away and that was uh, that was basically it. But, you know, here's I, I think what's important and what I think the Clinton campaign has not been very good at explaining is this. And this is the truth. The overwhelming amount of money that we're raising, and it is a lot, but the overwhelming amount of the money that we're raising is not going to Hillary to run for president. Uh, It's going to the down ticket. It's going to the congressmen and senators to try to take back Congress. And the reason that's important and the reason it's important to me is because uh, we need I'm a Democrat. So if you're Republican, you're going to disagree. But we need to take the Senate back because we need to confirm a Supreme Court justice because that fifth vote on the Supreme Court can overturn Citizens United and get this obscene, ridiculous amount of money out. So I never have to do a fundraiser again. And that's that's why I'm doing it. So so is it just me or does he want his cake and eat it, too? Of course he does. I mean, this is absurd. You're saying, yeah, it is obscene. It is ridiculous. But uh, I did it anyway. Right. Well, you know who else thinks it's obscene and ridiculous? Who's not doing it? Bernie Sanders. Which is one of the reasons why, although I disagree with him substantively on policy a lot, I still admire and respect him fundamentally as a human being, as a man, as, as a politician, as an American, because he's, he's real, he's authentic, he's not a liar, he's not a hypocrite. And the other thing is, what's this about? The overwhelming amount of money. What, what, what is he doing? The overwhelming. It's overwhelming. The overwhelming amount of money. You're saying it weird. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the H? What are you talking about? I'm just saying it. Cool Whip. You put Cool Whip on pie. Pie tastes better with Cool Whip. Say Whip. Whip. Now say Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. You're eating hair. <laughs> the overwhelming amount of money. The overwhelming amount of money. What? It's what are amazing. you doing, George Clooney? <laughs> He's like turning into uh, Kathleen Turner or Madonna. Overwhelming. I don't know why it's so funny. You don't know why? Yeah. 
Did I say that? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I was scared I said that. It is. Goddamn. Just come on. The overwhelming amount of money. You're saying it weird. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the H? <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's move on, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we have talked in the past, obviously, even in this episode, these religious liberty bills and these these brash measures from governors and legislatures throughout the South that are trying to pass, whether they be religious re- uh, religious freedom restoration acts or religious liberty bills where they curtail the rights of Americans who happen to be born gay or lesbian or trans in this country. And we never really get around to asking or playing some rational Republican responses on the show because you have Ted Cruz. Well, you have Donald Trump who will say whatever the fuck is on his mind at any given moment. Who knows what he really believes. Whatever he calculates in his in his stupid orange brain that possibly could be the pulse of his particular people quote unquote and then you've got ted cruz who appears on stage with kevin swanson who calls for the death and the execution of homosexuals in our society goddamn and apparently wanted to legislate the sale of sex toys back in the day right and then you got john Kasich who was asked specifically about these particular laws this weekend. And I think his answer might surprise you. Also, Dana Bash, CNN's Dana Bash, who does a bang-up goddamn job. You also had some tough words for Mississippi's new laws where you can deny somebody service because they're gay. You said, quote, what the hell are we doing in this country? Are there any steps that you would take to try to stop states from passing these laws? No, I, I, I wouldn't, but what I would say, I mean, I, I haven't even been asked that or thought about that, but here's what I think. There is a legitimate concern <clears throat> for people being able to have their deeply held religious beliefs, religious liberty, but there's also people who we shouldn't be discriminating against. We need to have a balance. There needs to, we need to strike a balance. And I just wish that everybody would just take a breath and calm down because you see trying to figure out how to legislate that balance is complicated and you keep doing do-overs because nobody gets it right so if we would just kind of calm down here I think <laughs> things would settle down and what I like to say is just relax if you don't like what somebody's doing pray for them and if you feel as though somebody is doing something wrong against you can you just for a second get over it? You know, because this thing will settle down. And I think to some degree, uh, this has become a wedge issue that can be exploited by people on both sides. We don't need that. We need a divided America, uh, not a, uh, a di- we need a united America, not a divided America, as one of my daughters said. We're the United States, not the divided states. That's a good line. Ah, it's kind of a cheesy line, but can you just for a second. Get over it. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's a great response because it, it really it's He's trivializing the concerns of these maniacs. Come on. Yeah. Just get over yourself. Yeah. You don't like the way they're living. Pray for them. Don't legislate. Yeah. It's none of your fucking business at all. 
Yeah. I mean, he didn't say that, but I think that's what it's in his heart. I think that is what's <laughs> in his heart. He He's speaking in a way that's very nonchalant, but I bet if he could speak the way he really wants to, he yeah. would be a little more fired up. Yeah, for sure. It's Listen, it baffles me. I will never be able to fully understand or grasp the logic or reasoning of the American electorate because this guy is goddamn electable. Mm-hmm. He is viable as a candidate. And Republicans, against their own best interest as a party, are going for Donald Trump and Ted fucking Cruz. Are you kidding me? Yeah. This is why I am no longer a Republican. And it's been many, many years that I have been officially affiliated at all with this party. It's disgusting the party and sad what they've become all right well before we wrap there is something going on right now there's several things going on right now with saudi arabia we've talked in the past at length about saudi arabia and the extremism of wahhabism that has come out of 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 this country their their very staunch attitude against atheists their flogging of free thinkers, and it appears as though the Obama administration is lobbying to keep classified 28 pages of documents related to the 9-11, the the link of Saudi Arabia to the 9-11 conspiracy. Saudi Arabia this morning is rejecting a 60 Minutes report about a classified document that may prove a Saudi link to the 9-11 hijackers. The explosive allegations are contained in a secret section of a report on the terror attacks known as the 28 Pages. Saudi Arabia says in a statement, quote, the CBS 60 Minutes program was a compilation of myths and erroneous charges that have been thoroughly addressed, not just by the Saudi government, but also by the 9-11 Commission and the U.S. courts. But former members of Congress who have read the document told Steve Croft on last night's 60 Minutes the 28 Pages point to a possible Saudi link. They want the Obama administration to declassify the report. So this is your office? Bob Graham won't discuss the classified information in the 28 pages. He will say only that they outline a network of people that he believes supported the hijackers while they were in the U.S. You believe that support came from Saudi Arabia? Substantially. And when we say the Saudis, you mean the government? Rich people in the country? Charities? All of the above. Graham and others believe the Saudi role has been soft-pedaled to protect a delicate relationship with a complicated kingdom where the rulers, royalty, riches, and religion are all deeply intertwined in its institutions. The committee will be in order. Porter Goss, who was Graham's Republican co-chairman on the House side of the joint inquiry, and later director of the CIA, also felt strongly that an uncensored version of the 28 pages should be included in the final report. The two men made their case to the FBI and its then director, Robert Mueller, in a face-to-face meeting. They pushed back very hard on the 28 pages, and they said, no, that cannot be uh, unclassified at this time. Did you happen to ask the FBI director why it was classified? we did in a general way and the answer was because we said so and it needs to be classified 
60 Minutes reports the White House is reviewing whether to declassify the 28 pages. The president will travel to Saudi Arabia later this month. This is a problem. All the way around, this is a problem. The fact that we have presidents bowing and scraping before the leaders of the royal family in Saudi Arabia, literally bowing, holding hands with these monsters who are, by all accounts, complicit in funding the attacks of 9-11. It's not only that, though. It's Raif Badawi and the countless other freethinkers who are being flogged and imprisoned for having a religious viewpoint other than Islam, other than the fundamentalist view that is held by many in Saudi Arabia. Here is an interview with Abdallah al-Mulimi, the Saudi ambassador to the United Nations. Thank you. And before... (laughs) You like that? I I did. Before we get to this, I I want to point out that Saudi Arabia, because it's going to put it all into sweet, sweet context here in a minute, Saudi Arabia sits on the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. They are a a sitting member on that commission for the United Nations. Human rights, everybody. This is an interview with the Saudi ambassador to the United Nations. When you look at the human rights situation in Saudi Arabia, for example, there are some, some would say some bizarre rulings. Why is advocating atheism in Saudi Arabia now considered to be a terrorist event? How do you explain that? Well, because it is, uh, in Saudi Arabia, we, we are a unique country. We are the birthplace of Islam. We are the country that hosts the two holiest sites for Muslims in Mecca and Medina. We are the country that is based on Islamic principles and so forth. We are a country that is homogeneous in accepting Islam uh, by the entire population. Any calls that... Ch- I know it sounds more extreme, but are you hearing some similarities in the way that he's speaking about his country and how certain people speak about the United States of America being based on Judeo-Christian principles? Right. And it's a problem either way you look at how it. How we need to legislate things based on our country being based on Judeo-Christian principles. Yeah. It's problematic. Just a little connection there. Challenge. <laughs> Islamic rule or Islamic uh, uh, ideology is considered subversive in, in Saudi Arabia and would, would be subversive and but could terrorism? lead to chaos. Well, somebody who says, I don't believe in God and others shouldn't believe in God is the equivalent of Osama bin Laden? Well, somebody who says that and calls for it publicly is subversive and could possibly be a terrorist, yes. but Merely uh, by disbelieving in God, he could be a terrorist? Well... If he was disbelieving in God, he's and not a violent person. If he's he was, exercising his freedom if, if of he, conscience. If he was disbelieving in God and keeping that to himself and conducting himself, uh, nobody would, would, would do anything or say anything about him. If he is going out in the public and saying, I don't believe in God, that's subversive. He's inviting others Even to retaliate. Even if that was subversive, and, and a lot of people would not agree with that statement, how is that terrorism? Aren't you just emptying that word of all meaning when you say an atheist is a terrorist? Well, uh, in terms of subversion, disturbing public peace, disturbing the security of the country, all of that. He, he is inviting, he is provoking others to, to react in, in a way that, that would also be uh, violent and, and unacceptable. 
I'll tell you what's unacceptable. That particular viewpoint. That merely the act of vocalizing the fact that you do not believe in fairy tales, in the mythology of Islam, you are a terrorist. And what does this lead us to believe about Saudi Arabia and their fundamental misunderstanding about what terrorism is in our world? If that's terrorism, then what the fuck was the buildings coming down? What is the hundreds of children dead at the hands of suicide bombers in Pakistan? What is that? If merely saying you do not believe in bedtime stories as reality is terrorism, then what's all the other shit? The other thing is the fact that they are threatening economic sanctions against the United States by cashing in on about $750 billion worth of U.S. debt. And I say let them fucking do it. If we bailed out the big banks and trillions of dollars were spent doing that, and if we were able to sustain the hit economically of spending trillion or so dollars on a war that has only created more problems, then we need to cut our ties with Saudi Arabia. Let this be the time that we do it. Let them cash in. Pay them. Be done with the relationship. When are we going to stop bowing and scraping to state-sponsored terrorism, which affects us here at home? It's a problem. All right. Well, that uh, got a little heavy. <laughs> well, it, it's a disturbing issue. Yeah. I mean, you have someone saying that giving their opinion. Right. Not harming anyone. No. Saying their opinion about an idea that they're inviting people to what? To think critically. I mean, he's acting like it's an assault on the government to right. give your opinion. That is so terrifying. I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it, it really is. And, and we th- this is a quote unquote close ally of ours. This is disgusting. Something needs to be done. All right, let's wrap this up since I am still feeling like a bag of lukewarm something that's not good when it's lukewarm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for not being specific. All right. Taking care of biz. So... Another animal edition of Taking Care of Biz. Another one? Yeah, well, we had Inky the Octopus. Oh, that's right. Last time. Yeah. Inky the Octopus. What do, what do we have today? Well, we have two male lions All right. who were photographed mating in Botswana. So a couple of gay, gay lions. Sinners. 
dirty, filthy sinners. Yeah, these sinners were photographed. Luckily, this wasn't in Saudi Arabia. Otherwise, we would have two fewer lions amongst us. I mean, I wonder how they handle. <laughs> I wonder how they handle the homosexual behavior in animals. Yeah, it makes you wonder. It's a serious issue globally. Well, okay, so because they're influencing all the other lions. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, God created. I can't think of lion names, but, you know, not Adam and Steve lions. <laughs> you can't think of lion names? I don't what? know. What, what's, uh, what's, what are Leo and what's a, what's a, and Nala. That was a lion, right? I don't have any <laughs> idea. So, so, so they, they filmed them, uh, you know, doing the dirty. You photographed them. Oh, okay. what did I say? Filmed them? Yeah. It's just my, my uh, fantasy kicking off, you know, gay lions. So Nicole Cambra is a lawyer and award-winning photographer from Belgium who was recognized by National Geographic in 2014 for her nature imagery. Last month, she was in Botswana on a safari in the lagoon area when she spotted two male lions. She sent a statement to the Huffington Post about the experience. Quote, according to our guide, they had only started their behavior that same week. These intruder males had pushed out the resident males early in the year, and the other female lions had headed into the woodland area, an area that is difficult to access with the safari vehicle. Only one lioness was seen in the center of the concession where the male lions were, and the lions showed no interest in the lioness, leading to the assumption that she may have been pregnant. It is the first time the photographer had seen homosexual behavior in lions, but when reading about it upon her return, she realized it is not uncommon. The article goes on to discuss that homosexuality in animals has long been discussed by experts. In 2012, the Yale Scientific published a piece saying the prevalence of which may be, quote, much more common than previously thought and could include mm. above 10% of species around the world. Wow. One zoologist quoted in this article says, no species has been found in which homosexual behavior has not been shown to exist, with the exception of species that never have sex at all, like sea urchins. <laughs> uni, the lovely uni. Well, that's, I don't think that they have sex at all, though. Oh, that's what they just said. That is what they just said. <laughs> You're turning into me. Wow. Maybe I should listen when you talk. So I don't know who's taking care of biz, the photographer, the lions, but I thought this was a cool article. I think the, the, the taking care of biz is that this is just more scientific evidence that it's not a sin or a choice. It's not for lack of ladies out there in the lion world. You know, the... Homosexuality is is something that that, that is a is a, a it is something that maybe we're we're not uh, super understanding of from an, uh, an evolutionary standpoint. Why, why certain species evolve with members that are homosexual, we don't know that yet. But we're in the infancy of studying this kind of thing. The answers will come. But I can tell you what we do know: it's not because of the devil. <laughs> well, and it was interesting because in this article, they speculate that the male lions may exhibit homosexual behavior to reinforce bonds and allegiance. Hmm. So like an alpha beta kind of a thing. Or to reinforce bonds and allegiance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's just leave it there with Brittany <laughs> making me look dumb. That is a perfect place to end the episode. 
We thank you for joining us on this 210th episode. Don't forget to tune in next time. We will have Brian Flanagan from Liar City right here in studio. We also might be doing a test run of video streaming us recording the show. Maybe. Maybe. And that if we don't do it next time, we're planning on starting that soon. So don't know if people would care about that, but that's something we're going to do. We're going to have to get on the ball about when we do the show, though, because right now it's 1147 p.m. on Sunday. And that might be a little late for our normal audience. We'd have to get on the ball with planning, getting our shit together and being more responsible broadcasters. Thanks for tuning in. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Every single moment that you spend listening and partnering with us to help move the conversation forward, it means a great, great deal to us. This week, tell a friend. Get somebody turned on to the show. Go rate and review. I'm not even going to beg you for money. God damn it, you guys are the best. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt. Overwhelming. <laughs>